pray. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your rich love for us. We pray to the creator God who spoke the universe into existence and oh, how we love you, Lord. How we are grateful and thankful to be here today, to fellowship with God's people, with your people, to lift up our voices, to lift, to have you lift up our hearts. We dwell in very pleasant places with you, O God. And we thank you for your mercy, your rich grace and love toward us. We thank you, Father. Oh, Father God, who spoke the universe into existence, and it was, and is, and ever shall be, according to your word. Our Father, this morning we just ask that our hearts would be filled to overflowing with the richness of your magnificence. Father, we thank you that we are in your presence. We thank you that you have drawn us to yourself. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Oh, Father, we thank you for your patience with us and your kindness and grace and mercy. Not that we deserve the least of your favor, but because of your great love, we are called your children. And so, Father, I pray that you would cause our hearts to incline to love your word to feast on it, to live by it, to be enriched in life, to know what it is to have life and to have it abundantly because you have richly fed us on your word. And so, Father, I pray this morning that the Spirit of God would move powerfully among us as you have already. Thank you for the, the atmosphere of your presence in this place this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would now offer to you our sacrifice of praise, our offering of obedience to you, O oh God, as we take your word seriously in a world that wants to ignore you. Lord, may our lives broadcast you loudly. Oh God, please help us. Take these few moments now and may they renew a passion within our hearts for the things you have made, the things that matter to your heart. Father, may the things that you care about be of great care to us, I pray, for Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we have, we're closing in on the end of a series that I hope has been really helpful for you as we've looked at some of the uh, important realities of what we believe and, and uh, trying to come to terms with uh, an apologetic, an, an ability to be able to, to challenge one another, to challenge others about what we truly believe and what really matters to us, how we think about things, how to challenge the worldview of the culture so that we would have a Christian worldview, so that, that we would think like Christians, because when you think like a Christian, you will act like a Christian. And of course, the world is continuing to press us to think like it thinks. That's why the Apostle Paul urged God's people, do not be conformed to this world. 
And the implication was really stop being conformed. You are being conformed. And Paul said, stop it. You must not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because it's so urgent that we know the will of God, that we have be able to express the, the words and the will of God to the people who he has placed in our lives and where we live and where we work. So I hope this series has helped you to feel more confident about what you believe. And, and I, I trust that you'll continue to study to show yourselves approved, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth of God's word. So today we're looking at, in the last of our series, care, to care or not to care. And to care about what? How do we... How do we determine what to care about? As I was doing some research this week, I came upon the Brookings Institute site, a think tank, a secular think tank, intellectual think tank. And under the topic entitled Assessing Global Risks and Priorities, a study done in, uh, of trends in 2007, I couldn't find one more recent than that, but it was interesting that the first two um, in, in the terms of priorities and trends in assessing global risks and priorities was this, first, energy and environment, environmental concerns, and two, poverty as a catalyst for conflict. And number 10 in the list was poverty in general. Quite amazing that um, the people of our world are focused on the urgencies of in the environmental realities and the realities of poverty. What really Christians should specialize in. This should be our wheelhouse. God's creation and the poor. And so it seems really fitting, I think, that in this conclusion, this last of our series, we would address those very topics. That we might um, understand what we think about the things that matter to God, whether or not they matter to us. This can only be a survey at best because this is a, a significantly substantial subject. The matters of God's creation is lofty. And where we fit and our role and our responsibilities and, and the matter of poverty and how we are to address that, huge lofty subjects. So today at best, we can do a survey of a journey to uncover a biblical apologetic for Christians as caregivers of God's creation. That's really what we want to do. What's our worldview on, on, uh, on caring for what God has made and what matters to God? How should Christians think about our eco and social responsibilities? I want to build on the workbooks that you have. I'm not going to actually teach the topic that is taught in the workbook. It's a great companion to what I'm doing and I hope that you'll study it and read it just because we don't have a DC exam tonight does not mean you shouldn't look that over and study it and, and hopefully it'll be a companion to what I'm, what I'm dealing with. And if I'm correct, um, Pastor Ken is, uh, is going to be dealing with... Um, on May 24th, 
in the evening. He's going to be dealing with this subject on a practical level, so I think you'll enjoy that because um, he is the pastor of care around here. He cares. Um, the rest of us, no, the rest of us care too. <laughs> the rest of us care and Ken really cares. Ken, Pastor Ken cares in a unique way. That was the way it was put in our prayer time this morning. And, uh, and so uh, he'll bring a, a great perspective, a great pastoral perspective to this uh, on May 24th in the evening because we're not going to have a DC group on this. But I, I want, as, as always, I, I think I've tried to do this in every one of our studies, I, I want to take you back to the very beginning because if we're going to understand how to care, we need to understand the design. We need to understand how God made everything and what he intended and what he wanted. So you can imagine that we need to go back to the book of Genesis to start off this morning again. We need to go back there and find out the original. Because to understand ecological stewardship, we need to settle our eco-theology, the original blueprint. One thing is certain, you know, as I, uh, certainly, obviously, it leaps out from the text of scriptures, but I think all of us, if we understand and study the world around us, one thing becomes abundantly clear as we jump into this idea of caring for the world that God made, is it certain that nothing evolutionary, there's nothing evolutionary about our world. From the very get-go, in terms of not just studying the Word of God, but as we look around at our world, uh, the implications of evolution is if we leave everything alone, it will get better. Nothing could be further from the truth in any observation. And certainly as we understand the uh, beginning of Scripture, you'll see that, that God has made this grand creation and then given an assignment to people to intentionally care for it. So uh, if you're with me in Genesis chapter 1, I want to read two verses initially from chapter 1 and chapter 2 to set the uh, parameters for this morning. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 28. In, in 27, of course, it tells us about God creating man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And then in verse 28, it says this, God blessed them. And here's what the blessing of God looks like. Okay, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's mandate, God's description of what blessing will look like. And then over in um, chapter 2, verse 15, of course, there's a specific mandate and function and role that God places upon mankind. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, now this establishes the original design, the original plan, the original commission of God. He blessed us and sent to us to be fruitful, increase, multiply, fill the earth, rule over it, subdue it, take care of it, work it. And so we have this, this idea, first of all, as we establish our eco-theology, is this, that, that we are called to fill the earth with the blessing of God by caring for God's garden. Now, what we need to understand about the creation is that, that God, and uh, in, in, in before the foundation of, of time, before the foundation of the world, before the time itself, had determined that he would dwell with his creation, would dwell with man. And so we learn here in the beginning of the book that, that God um, 
established himself in Eden. And he created a garden attached to his dwelling. Where we find out that he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. And, and we find when we get to the end of the book... It's always been God's desire to dwell with man. He says, now I will dwell with man. He talks about that. And of course, the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. There's this relationship that God always intended to have with mankind. And so he makes this beautiful garden, and he places Adam and Eve in the garden. And the idea, of course, is that what God forms and makes functional, he calls on Mankind is creation to, to be fruitful and fill. That's the mandate. That's the expectation. God doesn't do it all. He, in fact, uh, graciously creates everything, makes a, a system that is functional, but then intentionally places mankind to engage in productivity and organization to benefit from the promised blessing of God in terms of life. And the idea, of course, was that man would um, build on this garden and take care of it and watch over it and increase and grow it. And the reason that man would do this is, of course, because of God's commission, but the reason that, that man would respond to that commission is because mankind would love God. And the response has always been the same. God commissions us to, to do something, to obey him, and our response to him, if we love him, is to obey. We demonstrate our love to God by obeying him, by responding to his commission. And so first and foremost, Adam and Eve didn't care for the garden because they loved the garden. They cared for the garden because they loved God. That's the original design. That's the original plan. That's the expectation, that we would care for the things that God cares about, not because they're worthy of being cared about so much, but rather because we care about God. We love God. He is the first and foremost reason for our response to care. We must never lose sight of that. We'll come back to that a few times. The psalmist writes, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I think that's the King James translation. I like the way that just rolls off your tongue. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And that's why we care. Because it's the Lord's. That sets the parameter, foundation of our eco-theology. And care always reveals the object of one's affection. You know that those you love the most, you care for the most, you care about the things they care about. It just follows. To not care about the things that God cares about means we don't care about God. We don't love Him. We also find out because of the mandate here that care is a kingdom priority. We, we can't suggest that it's optional or it really doesn't matter. It's a nice supplement to care or not to care is not available to us. 
We care because care is a kingdom priority. It's a priority of God. And then, so the idea then was through man's care for his obedience and love for God, his response to God, his in following through by obeying God, the, the enjoyment of the blessings of God all followed that, that God's vision was to fill the whole earth with his glory. It would be that Adam and Eve would take care of the land, would work the garden, would be fruitful and multiply. And it talks there about four rivers branching out from Eden. The idea is that this garden was going to spread out throughout all the earth. And so that the earth would be full of the glory of God. The full blessing of his creation. Mankind enjoys. There's no idea of Concern about overpopulation and all of that. Be fruitful. Have gazillions of kids. Work the land. Work the garden of God. And God would dwell with man. So, the initial boundaries of this sacred space were to be boundless. To expand the blessing of God by filling the earth with his garden. So what happened? What got us to where we are? Does anybody still think we're living in the Garden of Eden? You know, I I think often when I get to a place in the world where it's just breathtaking, and there are places, aren't there? Have you been to a breathtaking place? Sure we have. We've all been to a breathtaking place. And I look at it and I think, oh man, what must it be like to gaze upon an unfallen creation? What would it be like to see the untarnished, untainted, unfallen creation of God? That's what Adam and Eve had Every day they woke up, a breathtaking garden. Everything they needed. Says that in the garden there were trees that were pleasing to the eyes, good for food. In that garden there were two particular trees, it says in the text. There was the tree of life. In addition to all these other trees that were breathtaking and good for food and it says there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil so what happened to this grand creation it says in the text that God told them that you can eat from any tree in the garden except for one tree you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do you will die So we pick up the text in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And we see that there's an exchange conversation going on between Satan, as we learn, and Eve. And Satan tells Eve that in verse 4, she will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there was a decision to be made at that moment. 
Do I love God more than myself? And it says in the text, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, which had already been asserted in chapter 2, she also noticed that it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Instead of responding to God in love, the first act of idolatry takes place. Looking away from God, Eve decided to look at the created, look at creation. To turn from, from the idea of relying upon God entirely for everything that she needed to decide that she would rely on creation for something she felt she didn't have. That's the definition, brothers and sisters, of idolatry. Turning from God to something created to depend. And so the caregivers of God's garden decided to become takers and owners instead of caregivers. Rather than obeying the prime directive to care for what belonged to God, Eve and then Adam decided to care more for themselves. It shouldn't escape us because it's not intended to be subtle here that there's a role reversal problem. There's a family problem. Satan decided to mess around with God's good plan and good design. Instead of Eve being the helper complementary, the helper suitable, the counterpart, she decided to take leadership. And Adam, apparently standing there with her, because it says he was there, decides to wimp out and let his wife test drive the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, Adam was the first male scoundrel on earth. Because it would appear, and some of you saw this in um, one of the presentations we had here, it would appear that Adam not only didn't love God, but he didn't really love Eve. He decided to let her test drive the tree and see if it really would kill her before he took a bite. And so we see the first two humans being all about themselves and not caring a rip about God or their assignment or his creation. I was um, thinking about this. If you were to come into my study and watch me in the, sit in the corner somewhere and watch me prepare sermons, you would see me doing this a lot of the time. And yes, you would concur that I'm looking to God, please help me, and I am. 
But I'm just sort of staring off into space, trying to get my head around something and thinking it through. And this thought came to my mind as I was thinking about this whole thing that was going on. And I thought this, and I, I jotted it down. The crucial moment in any and every care scenario is the moment you decide to care about yourself more than you care about God. And as soon as your care for God is traded for self, care for the things that matter to God no longer matter to you. And I thought a lot about that, and I thought, you know, that describes so much of our living, so much of our lives, so much of our decision-making. So much of our lack of care grows out of this. It's because we care too much about ourselves and not very much about God. And so care for God and the things God cares about always become casualties in this case. And in this case with Eve, casualties to intellectual property rights and personal ownership. As soon as she started thinking me and mine, the garden was in jeopardy. And what, what did she see in this tree? You know what she saw in the tree? A chance, an opportunity... In spite of all that God had given to them, he had given them everything they need. They had everything that they needed to look at. They had everything that they needed to eat. They had everything you can ever imagine and, and beyond. But Eve looked at that tree and she was convinced that there was something there that she didn't have that she wanted. And you know what it was? The ability to independently think in opposition to God. The ability to reason away what God had said. She, she, she saw the opportunity to grab intellectual property rights. God is not going to be the one who teaches me everything. I want to think on my own about what is right and wrong. I want to experience evil. I want to experience good on my own. What God has said to me is not enough. The plain Words of God are not enough for me. I've got to start to rethink them. I've got to start to, to, to study the nuance. Did God really mean I was going to die? Did, did God really say I couldn't even touch it? And she starts to go through all of this thinking. To think independently. Instead of being thrilled to be stewards of God's amazing creation of which we've never laid our eyes on to the degree they had, instead of being thrilled to be stewards of God's garden continue to believe what God told them, Eve and Adam wanted to be owners like God and independently allowed to make up their own minds about right and wrong. To supplement the enjoyment of the blessings of stewardship by laying claim now to ownership of the garden. So what does God think about this independent thinking and disobedience? Well, look at the end of the chapter, chapter 3, verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Banished, thrown out of God's garden, this beautiful thing that God had given to them. God expelled them from the grand stewardship and blessings of God's glorious garden. If you want to understand why there was an earthquake yesterday in Nepal and why there are threats of tornadoes across the Midwest this afternoon in the U.S., why? Because the earth has fallen to sin because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. 
And each one of these things that happens in the earth are birth pangs, it says in the word of God, uh, reminding the world that, that, that the earth itself has fallen to sin and longs for the day when Christ will come and make everything right, longing for the redemption of the sons of God, Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8. The earth itself is groaning in childbirth pains, which were never meant to be. And the choice to know evil cost them their lives. And us too, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. And then look at verse 24. This is very, very disheartening. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. We don't have a lot of time to deal with this, but presumably, Adam and Eve were created in such a way that they needed to, would need to go to the tree of life to keep living. And now, because of their sin, the way to the tree of life was not available to them at that moment. And so they were banished from the garden of God, from the blessings of God, from the place of walking with God, and now from the way to the tree of life, to have life. It's quite amazing, isn't it, that Jesus would call himself the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so they were disconnected from the way to the tree of life. Why caring is such a struggle for us? Why caring for the things that God cares about? Why caring about God's word is such a struggle for our world? Because we've been disconnected and care can only be reignited in our lives by supernatural invent, intervention, by the redeeming, recommissioning of a saving God. You call it, we call it born again, conversion, salvation. We become caregivers of God's garden once again. In case some of you are looking at your watches and panicking, <laughs> rest easy. We can only get to point three. I've already done a test drive with this first service, so I know. <laughs> One sermon became two, and I thought that might happen. Instead of turning to repentance to God, what did they do? What does it say in verse 7? Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Instead of coming clean before God, instead of falling to their knees and humbling themselves before God and saying, oh God, we have sinned against you, they decided they would cover themselves up. They would cover their shame and cover their guilt and cover their preoccupation with themselves and their selfishness. And that's the description of our world, the world we live in. A world 
attempting to cover themselves up, to cover over their shame, to cover over their guilt, to cover over their preference for themselves. We will not be accountable to this God. I want to share two main ways we cover, and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, wrap it up for this morning, and we'll reconvene next Sunday, Lord willing, unless we're in heaven together, and then he can finish the sermon, and it'll be a lot better, I assure you. We cover up instead of coming clean. The first is the covering of defective intellectual power to reason away the plain truth. We've really talked about this. This was what was on Eve's heart. The pathway of thinking that pleases God, by the way, is very narrow and few find it. That's what the Word of God says. But we live, we live in an age, we live in an age with people who they don't, either don't want anything to do with God or God's Word or they've found a, a, some sort of way to, to reason away the plain truth. That's what Eve encountered in the garden. I think all of us, you know, we've come, we become, we expect that the, the culture around us will, will refuse God's word, refuse what God says, and refuse to be accountable to God. We expect that of the culture that we live in. But it comes as a really unnerving thing when God's people start to be like that. And one thing that we discover when we start talking about these where the rubber hits the road kind of subjects like heaven and hell and and uh, sec- human sexuality and gender roles and, and the Bible itself and, and uh, the kinds of things that we believe about the sanctity of life and all of that. It, comes pretty, it becomes pretty unnerving to us when we, we bump up against people who, who are in church with us and they, they read the same things we read but they've learned and, and have come, uh, become great at, at the power of reasoning away the plain truth. And you have people who claim to be followers of Christ who stand toe-to-toe with each other and, and are, are arguing diametrically opposite things about the theology of God, about the things of God, about an apologetic of God, about what we believe, about heaven, about hell, about gender, about human sexuality, about immorality, about all those kinds of subjects. And we stand and we argue with each other. Listen, brothers and sisters, there can only be one truth. That's the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. This, this idea that, that we can shade the, 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 the notion of what God has said to us because we want something a different way. So Eve could pretend that she wasn't going to die and she could disobey God's word and eat of this tree because she saw it as desirable for her intellectual freedom. I don't want intellectual freedom from God's word. I don't want that. I don't want to independently think about God's word. I don't do that. I read what God says. It's what he says. Who am I to challenge God? But there is this, this movement among us to rid ourselves of the plain reading of the scriptures and prefer convoluted interpretations of the scriptures. Listen, in 1 Timothy, brothers and sisters, Paul said this, 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, I want you to know that this sermon that was going on in the garden was about God's word. It's highly possible for people to be interchanging and discussing about God's word and actually teaching each other doctrine of demons. Wasn't Satan the one preaching in the garden? 
the defection of believers from the faith once for all delivered to the saints is really unnerving. I heard of another man just, just yesterday. I was at a, a gather, a social gathering. A man high up in his 70s walked with the Lord. He stopped walking with the Lord. I couldn't believe it. The defection of believers. Paul could say, I fought the fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course. Sadly, some among us are eating from different trees. There's the second one here, and, and it's, it's um, I won't take a lot of time. You're going to study it uh, on your own, I'm sure, but the covering of, uh, of paying God a commission to overlook our lack of genuine care by multiplying the gift of our religious commitment. You're saying, what? What are you talking about? Glad you asked. Book of Amos. The book of Amos. What? what? What are we talking about here? Some of us are playing games with God. We're playing religious games with God. We think that if we come to church, we get involved in religious things, we use religious lingo, that we're fine. And we're, we're fooling, we're trying to fool each other that our head is in the game, but we know our heart isn't in the game. The thing is, God the Father knows your heart isn't in the game. And here's the covering, so that we, we cover over behavior, lifestyle, thinking, heart, cold heart, covered over by religious activity, paying God a commission. Look what God says to the, you've had enough time now to find Amos in your index. That was the idea. We don't go there often. So Amos, listen to what he says in Amos chapter 4, verse 4, verse 5, go to Bethel and sin, he says. Now, you're saying, well, okay, what's he talking about here? First of all, it's unnerving to hear God command anybody to go and sin, but you know what he's saying here? He's saying literally, brothers and sisters, go to church and sin, because Bethel was a place of worship. And, and, and if that isn't enough, he says, uh, and if, if, that church isn't, if, you, if that church isn't enough for you, then go to Gilgal, go to a different church and sin. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years, or, or maybe better translated on the third day. Burn leavened bread as thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do. And over in chapter 5, verse 21, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like never-ending stream. Over in, over in chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, look at you lie on beds inlaid with, with ivory. You lounge on your couches. You dine on your choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful, bowlful and use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of God's people or Joseph. 
God is, is stating to his people, I, I'm not fooled by your gatherings. I'm not fooled by the fact that you come into church and that you empty out your pockets and load lots of things on the offering plate and you brag to each other about how much you give and how much you do, how much time you spend in the work of God. I'm not fooled by that. I'm not fooled by the fact that you think you have your head in the game and everybody else thinks you have your head in the game, but your heart is far from me because you don't care about justice. You don't care about righteousness. You don't care about those who don't have And so you're covering up your lack of passion for me and the fact that you don't care by paying me a commission every Sunday. And I won't have it. Imagine if Jesus walked into this place and said, I hate the songs you did today. I hate the way you, what you're doing. I hated your offerings Preaching is useless because your hearts weren't with me. And so we're going to leave it there today with this one, so what do we do? What do we do with all of this? How do we stop here? Well, here's what we do with it. There's only one way to care. Only one way. It's always the same. Change. Repent. Change your heart. Change your mind. Change your way of thinking. Here it is, Amos. Chapter 5, verse 6, seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like fire. It will devour, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. Verse 14 and 15, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph, the remnant of God's people. Hearts always find something to attach to. It will either be God or it will be things. Carry about God and you will automatically care about what God cares about. That's the message to us. What do we do with all of this? Unless we recognize that we've been playing around with God, unless we recognize that the reason that our heart is not inclined to care the way we ought, for the people who need to care for God's creation, unless we come to terms with the fact that the reason we don't care is because we don't really care about God and we've been fooling ourselves. We may have been fooling other people and fooling ourselves, but we haven't been fooling God. God cares. And those who love God care too. Our Father, this is your kingdom. This is your world. We are your people. We need to specialize in caring, oh God. So would you please plant a new heart in us by the power of your spirit, oh God? That as we think on these things this week, that you'll burden us, that you'll convict us, you'll convince us, and Lord willing, you'll change us, oh Father, for Jesus' sake, amen. Well, what an eclectic emotional service we've had today. Who would have thought that you could uh, do dramatic choreography to country music and have breakdancing with country music. Who could think that God would be able to bless country music in the first place? But he has been able to, and he does. 
God does amazing things. Listen, the theme has really been change. In this song, change the atmosphere. If we're going to care about the things that God cares about, our hearts have to change. It has to start here. And so, you know, as a type A personality, I, I always hate when I don't get through a sermon, so it's, it's really eating at me. But I just need to tell you that, that uh, we did accomplish about 6,000 years of human history in the sermon today. We went from the garden to, to right now. So, so next week, and you all need to come back, um, we're going to do the so what. what. What's God calling us specifically? We've got to change our hearts, love God with all of our hearts. And what will that do? What difference will that make in our lives and how will we live? So... That's what we'll look at next week, uh, Lord willing, and uh, you able, and you back here. Let's pray. Our Father, it's been good to be here. We just love you. We love to come together and praise you in so many varieties of ways, Lord. There's inexhaustible ways that we can lift up our voices, lift up our lives to praise you. And we thank you. You're a wonderful and amazing God, magnificent God. And Lord, just please break our hearts that we might love you enough to care about the things that you care about. Lord, Lord, many of us really need to do some soul searching here. Are we just trying to find excuses for why we don't care, excuses for why we're not passionate about you? Are we just covering up our sin? Are we just trying to, to um, cover up our, our, our uh, independent desire to think the way we want to think so we can excuse the way we're living? Oh God, these are serious matters among us, among God's people. And uh, it could be said of, of so many of us, go ahead, go to church and sin. Go to a different church and sin. It won't make any difference. But if we look to you, we'll stop sinning and we'll live. So change us, oh God. Change our desires that they might be you and you alone. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. amen.